This is Alex. And this is Emily. And today it's what makes a great hobby. But before we get to that. <laughs> we should do our quarantine check-in. Our COVID-19 check-in. How are you doing? You know, last time we talked, I was not doing well. This is week... Why are you laughing? Because <laughs> I don't know. Did we tell that story about Maya and Ruby? Uh, I don't remember. So in case, <laughs> it, it, look, it's funny enough that if we're retelling it, it's worth hearing again. Fine, go ahead. But like a week and a half ago or something, I was out back with the girls, and we were talking about COVID-19, and Ruby goes, I'm just trying to handle it <laughs> like mom does, because she's doing so well. She's like, this is only temporary, this won't last long, like this is not forever, we can get through this together. And then Maya said, oh, I don't think she's handling it well at all. <laughs> she yelled at me. <laughs> no, she said she snapped at me. She wasn't wrong. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, how are you doing? I'm doing better. The kids started school. WSU started up, so we're back online. I'm doing my full work schedule now. Teaching voice lessons online. Everything, yeah. All online. So, the days are really, really busy. I, A, feel like I am always washing dishes and picking up. Like, that's all I do when I'm not in front of a screen. And then the other thing I do is I feel like I'm staring at my computer or my phone all day. Like, I dreamed about being in Zoom meetings the other night. Like, and I kept waking myself up, which I don't love. And I, we are constantly um, negotiating which devices everybody needs to be on and if we can all be in meetings at the same time and uh, like quiet space is very hard to find. Well, and part of what's making it difficult is that in our house, the strongest Wi-Fi is on the main floor. Right. Unless we wanted to buy like a mesh router system, which is like $500. So we're all on the main floor. Like yeah. my desk is now downstairs. The girls' desks are downstairs. You're working at the dining room table. Well, at the piano. And at the piano. Yeah. So we're all in each other's space. Yeah, so that's a lot. Correction, we're all in your space. Well, no. I mean, I'm used to working from home, but I'm used to not sharing my office space with three other people. But it's okay. The weird thing was last week felt normal, which is disconcerting. I think our deck is sloping. We should get that. Yeah, we should get that fixed. Okay. Anyway, um, that's the other problem about being home all the time is I see all the things that need to be fixed, but it's fine. How are you doing? Um, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. This week was a struggle for me. It was really, I don't know. So one of the things I recognize about my job now is that it's a lot of meetings. And because of this, I'm, because of COVID-19, I'm having even more meetings Everyone's doing it by Zoom, which means, A, unlike when I'm at work, like, I'm not walking to different buildings, so, like... Yeah, I'm you're not, sitting a lot. I'm sitting a lot more, and, B, most meetings take place with human beings in a room. Now they all take place on Zoom, so I'm literally at my computer. My first meeting every morning starts at 9 a.m., and I'm there to, from 9 till 5. Like, I just don't... Yeah. It's a lot. And so my eyes are tired. I'm tired. 
Like, I'm trying to, like, build in breaks for myself, but then I just feel like... Yeah. How do you create a break for yourself? Like, creating a break for yourself at home feels weird. Yeah. So, which I'm sure is I guess maybe I have a benefit, because, like, that part is not the stressful part to me. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say we both ended every day this week just, like, exhausted. Yeah. Um, on the plus side, we've been saving a lot of money. We actually have. Because, like, I'm not eating lunch out every day. I'm not buying, like, random things that I think we need. Yeah. And I'm losing weight because <laughs> I'm not eating as high-caloric foods. Cause yes. Because my meal options are more than Panda Express, Chick-fil-A, or Freddy's, <laughs> or Pizza Hut. True. So, dropped a couple of pounds. That feels good. And I'm training. Well, yes. For an Ironman. <laughs> Glad we brought that up. <laughs> For listening at home, take a shot. <laughs> um, yeah. So well, we'll get through it. We'll check in again. See how everyone's doing. Yeah, I think the other thing I was gonna say is that I will say this. This is my one really positive moment of the week. I taught my first um, class gen ed course, which is seventy kids, and I taught them all on Zoom on Thursday. And so, first off, teaching 70 kids in a classroom is exhausting, but teaching them on Zoom is even more exhausting. Um, but I was, I had, like, all the stuff planned. So, like, I put them into breakout groups of, like, four people, and I had a poll going so they could answer this question, and I shared my screen with them so we could watch a Jimi Hendrix video. And when I was done with that, one of the students, like, said, I think you're the most, like, proficient at Zoom of any of my professors that I've seen so far. So that makes you feel good. It does make you feel good, and you're you're good at that, and you're very generous in helping everybody, <coughs> me, uh, figure it out as well. Well, I'm a Zoom pro because I've been doing Zoom for years now. Never bought stock in them. Should have. Yeah. <laughs> well, teach me. So today's episode is what makes a good hobby, and we actually did a special interview for this one with a friend and colleague of mine, Seth Bate. He'll tell you a little bit more about himself. So with that said, I will say, we did this interview over Zoom, and we did it, we were each wearing one headphone of an AirPod, and so sometimes the sound quality is really good, I think sometimes it's not as strong, and well, there's a little surprise at the end of the interview, but some of it doesn't carry over as well as you would hope. But that's look. You know what? This is unprecedented times. Yeah. So we are all doing the best we can. We're not able to use our typical recording studios that we do. Right, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with that said, we will turn it over to our interview with Seth and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about our thoughts. How is Winfield, Kansas managing? You know, I think we're in pretty good shape as small communities go. Um our principal players who respond to moments like this collaborate fairly well. That's good. And How's I'm out possible? in the country, so other than the inconvenience of internet out here. Yeah, how is that going for you? Um, my mood completely is tied to the number of bars on my hotspot. I completely understand that. Actually, same. <laughs> I mean, 
part of the problem is we've got four well I mean, you're having the same experience i'm sure we've got four people in our family who are all online at the exact same time trying to do stuff yeah um, and so and in fact in our house the internet's really only good strong on one floor so we're all on the main floor working <laughs> it's been so much fun well I mostly keep my work connected to my university hotspot. And so that at least leaves the home internet shared among other people. Yeah. And, you know, because Apple gives everybody an individual hotspot, worst case scenario, that's available as a backup. But there have been some moments where we've had to go, all right, no streaming for the next hour. Yeah. Uh, also, because one of the things we're doing is, I mean, because we're working on this podcast right now in this time and age, we feel like it's weird to have a conversation about anything else that doesn't just have a conversation around COVID-19. So just a check-in, how are you and your family doing just in general with managing all of this? Yeah, the nuclear family here um, is doing well. Uh, I think our only concern is trying to convince my in-laws that they are actually part of the high-risk group and they really should be um, observing all of the stay-at-home orders because they're used to being retired. Like, you know, the flow of the day has not changed for them. Yeah. Um, for my extended family, my brother and his husband are in Wyoming and uh, um, were quarantined and got COVID tests that we learned yesterday came back negative. Oh, um, so good. they may be back to work as early as this afternoon, but um, that was a little nerve wracking. And then a big yeah. cluster of my family, including my dad and stepmom are in Florida. So, you know, all the models suggest that's going to be where the next big spike is. It's interesting. Our, my parents live in California and are both under that sort of quarantine lockdown and um, and they're both high risk as well. And so fortunately they've been taking it pretty seriously, especially, well, here's how bad it's gotten. My dad eats every meal out. And he, I, last time I talked to him, which was a day or two ago, he said, I cooked every meal for the last two weeks. <laughs> so, so we know we're in a real, a real serious situation. And my mom is constant. She says like, I want, she's like, I'm the only one in our house and I'm wiping down the surfaces three times a day. So I appreciate that level of crazy in times like this. Yeah. Inquiring minds want to know, are you doing dishes all freaking day? Like the rest of us? Uh, so collectively that is happening i personally am not um one of the ways that household chores have gotten divided in our house that uh, benefits me pretty well is um I, leaning over the sink is one of the things that um gives me back trouble so jenny does most of the dishes and uh we haven't had a working dishwasher for i don't know like since last fall and i keep saying we should get that fixed and jenny says i don't really mind doing the dishes it kind of fits the flow of my day but um she said that back when you know we were eating a meal a day or every other day yeah so i i suspect 
um, when it's okay to have someone in your house, that will be a high priority again. Yeah. I think the question will be, how long until we move to paper plates? Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> so we have a similar situation in our family that Emily primarily does most of the dishes. Yeah, just because I'm a control freak. And I'm just I'm not, like I'm not good at them. So, <laughs> uh, but I find other ways to contribute of to the family. Of course <laughs> um, well, well, thanks for the, your COVID-19 update. Um, now to the crux of today's episode. Which so today's episode is what makes a good hobby, and when I thought did you know of, that? I did, I got that much. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm okay with this. I was still, um, and when I was thinking about this kind of episode, I thought, boy, if I know someone who is like a, I don't want to say a, a master of none, but certainly a jack of all trades. If I know a real, or actually, if I know a real Renaissance man. It oh, is my, that's a nice frame. It's my friend Seth Bate. So first, just for our listening audience, all five of them, quickly tell us just who you are and just like a very quick summary of a, this is who Seth Bate is, where I'm from, what I do, etc. And then we're going to talk about your hobbies. Okay. Uh, I'm a person who grew up in a military family, so I lived all over. I have chosen to settle in my adult life in Kansas, where I'm married into a farm family, not a family that is doing production farming now, but that's very much the culture I've married into. And uh, uh, I'm somebody, I think, who takes a pretty playful approach to life in general. Uh, so there aren't a lot of things that I spend time on that I think are high stress or high difficulty. Uh, mm. I, really like to play any place I can play. Uh, my work is connected to Wichita State University, uh, which is how I know Alex. And most of the work that I do is teaching or coaching or helping people implement ideas associated with leadership. Just out of curiosity, without getting too political, just to go back to COVID-19, as a teacher of leadership, have you seen teaching moments over the last couple of months. Uh, yeah, I have. Uh, and some of them are around what are our expectations of people in authority and what are the pressures on those people um, and what are the costs when they don't live up to those pressures. Um, so I'm trying to remember sometimes to have some empathy for people who are in really tough positions. Yeah. Um, and I've also very much seen the danger of people uh, who are looked to for answers when they make up shit that they don't really know. <laughs> yeah, isn't that? Yeah, that is, I think, one of the biggest lessons of leadership that I've learned is that uh, your communication has to be transparent and honest. And sometimes it's okay to just say, you know, I'm not sure. Let me get back to you on that. Yeah, it is absolutely better to say we still have a lot to learn than yeah. to provide a clear answer that you know in your heart is at least mostly BS. Yes. So now let's talk about the real meat of the, the, the topic. You're a hobby man. I, I don't know if you... So here's the first question. So this is what I know about, about Seth. Seth plays the ukulele, I would say quite well. Uh, plays the guitar. Um, I assume also plays the bass. Is that true? I do. Okay. Plays the bass. 
is a avid and maybe rabid fan of Jim Henson and the Muppets. Went back to school and got a master's degree in music history, or not music history, just history, public history recently. Uh, is a, a, a bit of a foodie and also a, a, a good cook, a home cook. I mean, these are all things that I sort of put in the box of hobby. So the first question is, is it fair to classify those as, to, as hobbies to you? I think anything's fair. I'm not real hung up on labels, but I, I do think um, it's hard for me to know sometimes what counts as a hobby and what's just something I love. Oh. So part of the reason I got the uh, graduate degree I got is I love Kansas history and specifically I love Cary Nation. I don't know if Cary Nation is my hobby. I mean... I've read a lot, and anytime there's a new mural with Carrie uh, somewhere in Kansas, I go get my picture taken with it. Um, but I don't know if I, you know, if there were a hobby blank, if I were going on Jeopardy, I don't know if I'd list Carrie Nation as a hobby. It's an, an interest. I feel like your love of Carrie Nation is the love, and then you're taking the pictures as the hobby. Oh, that's an interesting distinction. I could buy that. So... Yeah, I think that's actually really, that's a very good distinction. So let's talk about something like cooking, which I think is a, a lot of people would classify like in their hobby category. Like I'm not, not making more. Now it's a survival <laughs> technique. Good point. Point well taken. Um, what, what, what draws you to these kinds of things like uh, ukulele playing, cooking, all those things? What, what, what do you think typically draws you to them? So I have a couple of thoughts. The, the one that I want to get out that might not be specifically answering that is I have learned both around cooking and around ukulele playing one of the boundaries beyond which it's no longer a hobby or at least um, doesn't fit my category. Uh, when it becomes too much work, it's no longer a hobby for me. Mm. So... Jenny and I used to run a bread business at our local farmer's market for 11 years. We baked about 40 loaves a week and that was still fun through most of it. Like I think through all of that, I'd have said bread baking was a hobby. The last couple of years of it, it was much more an obligation and we were doing it at a stage in our lives when we had young kids running around making it extra difficult and uh, we bowed out of that because it was, we were starting to lose the love of it. Mm. And uh, early on when we were married, we used to think we want to run a bed and breakfast someday. And then we subbed for some friends who had a bed and breakfast and planning meals is great fun until you actually have to get up at five in the morning and deliver <laughs> those meals to people who don't already know and love you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so to the bread business point, that was a hobby, but you guys were getting, I presume you were selling it. Were you making a profit off of it? I mean, as long as you didn't actually add our labor costs in, sure. Yeah. But the, having that hobby wasn't, you weren't doing it for the money. I'm sorry. I missed the last part of that. Oh, you weren't doing the hobby for the money? 
We were not. We were doing it for the chance to be out there in the community. So if you were, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm curious about this because also you're talking about a world a little bit in which you monetize your hobby. So like I think about if I were to go, um, well. What are your hobbies? Guitar playing. Guitar playing is my hobby. Yeah, so if I started gigging as a guitarist, is it no longer a ho when does it move from being an, uh, a hobby to an obligation? And that's according I, to Seth, it's when you stop loving it. I, I think he's right there. So I guess here's what one of my questions is if you had, and let's say in those first opening four or five years of doing this where you were really loving the process, if you had consistently been losing money on it, do you think you would have continued it at the level of what you were doing it, or do you think you would have gone to just making it in your home? The circumstances of that, I mean, there were layers on layers there. So we, you know, we were interested in the community development aspect of it and we took on a management role. Mm -hmm. So that I, I don't know that that's a, a simple question, but um, it, if we were not at least earning enough to buy ingredients for the next week as we went, I don't think we would have continued more than a year or two. So let me ask you this, as someone who is, um, baking some bread recently. Uh, one of the, the struggles that I have uh, is getting some good flavor into the internal crust itself. Like it's easy to put seasonings in thing. In fact, pro tip for anyone who's listening, uh, I made a loaf of bread where I put everything bagel seasoning on the top. That was quite delicious. Nice move. Do you, do you have a suggestion on how to get some flavor into the innards? of a dough, a bread dough. Uh, so uh, maybe this is a sign of a hobby because I, I think I could nerd out on this for a long time. Uh, the first piece of advice is always just let it take longer than you want it to. Mm -hmm. So dough that has had a couple of days in the refrigerator and you come back to it is going to develop more flavor than dough that you're trying to rock out and in two and a half hours go from first mixing oh. bowl to baking. Um, and then thinking about things that can be ingredients within that still fit with a lot of flavor profiles. So one of our most uh, popular breads when we were selling and still something that we give away for like holidays and things uses sun-dried tomato inside. So mm. slightly reconstituted constituted sun-dried tomato chopped up and stirred in has a lot of flavor for a fairly small amount of ingredient and still goes with all these other savory flavors. So mm. thinking about what matches other flavors you want to have your bread with. Okay, that's, that's good. I'll tell you, I was really disappointed. I did, um, I did a loaf where I put a bunch of honey in the dough thinking like that was going to add some like sweetness and it just tasted like bread. Yeah, anything that's subtle is not going to stand out in bread. All right. Have you ever tried using beer in the fermentation process of bread? I wonder if that would do anything. I mean, beer is, well, sure it would, but uh, beer is better for quick breads. So if you're doing a yeast rift in bread, beer is kind of redundant. Mm. Um, uh, we did uh, sort of in, when we were, doing our bread booth farm to table um, was not part of the everyday vocabulary yet. I mean, it, 
it, it was that was still kind of throwback hippie stuff. But we did an all Kansas bread for a while that was local flour and local honey and beer from River City Brewery because it was before the brewery boom. And that was pretty great. That sounds awesome. Um, Okay, so here's my next question for you. So you've been a person who has found these things that you seem to enjoy immensely. Um, I think you've said, maybe I'm putting words into your mouth, that they bring you uh, they provide some happiness in your life um, and allow you to be playful. How have you? How do you typically wander in to a new hobby? Once I find something that intrigues me, I'm a deep dive kind of person. So what are all the things that I can read? Who are all the people I can talk to? What are the experiences that I can have nearby? Um, and sometimes that gets awkward. Like I, I've been a a lifelong Henson fan, but I I started realizing it was really important to me, um, uh, as we were planning to, and then had kids like, um, went from, oh, I'm the guy who has a Kermit mug to, oh no, this actually has really shaped my life. So I took a solo trip to Little Rock because there was a touring exhibit of Jim Henson work uh, at an art museum there. And I went planning to spend the day. And then I realized I was walking by myself as a 30-something-year-old person to stand around a Jim Henson exhibit all day. And that felt really creepy. So Yeah, uh, I can... so. I had a similar experience, not on my part, but it was, we were at Disneyland and I was standing in line with our girls to meet the princesses. And there was a gentleman in front of me who was probably mid thirties by himself. And I said, Oh, where are your kids? And he goes, Oh no, it's just me standing in line to meet the princesses. And I went, mm. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so when you say, um, Do I have any? Oh, do you have any? Do you have any new hobbies right now? (laughs) New hobbies. Oh, that's interesting. I'm not sure I do. Uh, I think one of the things that makes a good hobby is it's something that you can enter in and out of periodically. So I'm a big baseball fan, and I have gone through stages of my life of being kind of a read all the box scores, have a fantasy team, um, know all the history fan. And most years I'm sort of at a casual level. So I, I think I more rediscover things than add to the list. So you started off, um, you said, once you find something that intrigues you, you do a deep dive into it. What are the ways that you discover new things to intrigue you? So uh, I think the technical answer is often they're just things I'm noticing. Sorry. Check my hotspot and see if I can move it around. I'm getting some unstable notes. Yeah, so the more technical answer is um, I'll 
hear somebody talking about something or I'll hear a podcast or I'll see an article um, and go, oh, that's interesting. Um, I think on a slightly more, um, I think on a slightly more meta level, I try to pay attention to things that bring me joy or things that get me excited and to follow that. So I think on a good day, if I'm really in touch with myself and I see something interesting, either that's brand new or that is related to something that I already love, I'll go, oh, I should learn more of that. Hmm. It seems like you're approaching life with a lot of curiosity, which I think is important. Uh, I hope so. Uh, and I think one of the things that helps me know when I'm under too much stress is I get less curious. Oh, that's, I think that's really a profound sense of self-awareness, actually. <laughs> Good for you for knowing yourself that well. I don't know that I know myself that well that I could recognize that. Huh. Um, I also know that, uh, and if I'm revealing too much, I can always edit this out. But in an effort to get healthy, you sort of, I don't know if you started running or you went back to running, but you've been running. Um, so you were running a bunch of 5Ks, I think, last year. So I'm curious, is there something that is beneficial for your physical health? Um, what, you know, was brought about because you in an effort to become healthier do you feel like that's a hobby for you or is it become a, a necessity? Uh, it is a necessity and I've tried to peel away some of the drudgery of it by treating it more as a hobby. So I do things like I have running shorts that are custom stitched. So I, I have running shorts that have the Twisted Sister logo on them because Twisted Sister is my favorite band, right? Um, and I try to run in places where it's okay if I sing loud and I play obnoxious music that I love and I sing at the top of my lungs while I'm out there. So I don't enjoy running. I'm never going to enjoy running, but I enjoy being out there singing too loud. <laughs> I love that. I hate running. I, you know, I've, I, I do some running and I always, uh, I talk to my runner friends and they're like, oh yeah, don't you get that runner's high? And I've said, no, never, never have experienced. I don't know what you're talking about. The moment I start, I hate, <laughs> from the first step to the last step, I hate the experience. Um, but I, I can appreciate the trying to, to find the other experiences around it that you can lean into. Emily has a request. Do you want to play some ukulele for us? <laughs> oh, I could play some ukulele. Can, can I tell you my one other thought about um, your general question so it yes. doesn't get lost? Um, I, I was talking to Jenny about this, so these are largely her thoughts too, or her okay. thoughts first. But I do think one of the things that makes a good hobby is the right degree of difficulty. So a good hobby is challenging enough that there's still more to learn or to discover or to collect, but it's not so hard that it becomes a new source of frustration. Yeah. 
that I I can totally get behind that. I can totally get behind that. Or at least maybe if it's the challenge, the if it feels super challenging that the reward is exciting enough to keep you like motivated towards working on it. Yeah. So if you collect Fiesta and for your particular set, there's one thing out there and uh, that's important enough to you. And there are still ways to search and come the connections to be made. You know, I, I could see that. But if you just, if that were your hobby and you started there knowing that there's already an impossible to get thing, I don't think there's any fun in that. Yeah. I like it. Well, that, I think that's a great answer. On that note, I'd love to hear some ukulele. Ukulele. Or as Emily likes to call it, what do you call it, Emily? Ukulele. Ukulele. (laughs) Yeah. So with my students, I say, when we play Hawaiian music, we say ukulele. When we play non-Hawaiian music, we say ukulele. What they don't know is I don't actually know any Hawaiian music. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'll grab it. Give me a second. Okay. All right. Am I back with you? You are. So before you play, I just have a question. Uh, is Is your ukulele special in any way, shape, or form to you? Do you have a special story around your instrument? So this particular ukulele is um, just that I've wanted a banjo ukulele for a while because they're loud. And uh, so Jenny got one for me for Christmas. We just just heard about these. Aren't they called like a bandolilia or something like that? Like some crazy thing? Yeah, there's lots of portamento names for them. But um, they were very popular in the 20s. We just learned this. How cool. Um, I, I do have one, one ukulele that I don't play very often because it's a, it's a 1926 Martin that was um, a gift from Jenny's uncle when Jenny's aunt died. So it was actually a uke she had bought for him and he passed on to me kind of in her memory. Um, but it still has the old pressure pegs. And of course, I'm used to geared tuners on everything. And so I have trouble keeping it in tune and it's got this amazing sound when it's tuned up, but I don't get it out as often as I should because of that. How long have you been playing for? I picked up uke, I don't know, probably 20 years ago, maybe a little longer than that. Um, And, uh, the harder air travel got with instruments, the more I played. So I used to, if I was going somewhere, always take a guitar and then that became a big pain. So I traveled with an auto harp for a while, but retuning an auto harp after every flight (laughs) is a big commitment. So I started traveling with a ukulele. That's awesome. And uh, going back to something you said earlier, what piqued your interest in the ukulele? Uh, So uh, part of my being a hobby level musician uh, is I'm more of a dilettante. I want to play a lot of things competently, but I've never really leaned into playing one thing well. And so just the idea of whatever group of stringed fretted instruments is out there, I want to be able to add something that isn't. 
So if there's nobody playing Uke, I'll play Uke. If there's nobody playing Mountain Dulcimer, I'll play Mountain Dulcimer. And now that I have something that sounds kind of like a banjo, I can substitute either for banjo or ukulele. Yeah. My, one of my good friends, Richard, who's a mandolin player, always says, uh, mandolins like jello, there's always room for jello. <laughs> right so, on. So I'll put ukulele in that category as well. So, well, what would you like to play for us? Um, I don't know that I've ever tried it on banjo uke, but I think I'll try to sing Scotch and Soda, which was a Kingston Trio hit in probably 63, 64. Um, I usually focus on sing-along songs. Yeah. Because what I want is to play and sing with other people, but since you're stuck with just me. Ooh. You picking up any of that? Scotch and soda, mud in your eye, baby me, oh my, do I feel high, do I feel high, dry martini, jigger of gin, oh what a spell you put me in, oh my. Do I feel high? People don't believe me. They think that I'm just bragging. But I could feel the way I feel and still be on the wagon. All I need is one of your smiles, sunshine in my eye, oh me, oh my. Do I feel higher than a kite can fly? Give me loving, baby, I feel high. Yay! That was the highlight of my day, and I've done a lot today. So well, one of my yes, one of my hobbies is tap dancing. I never danced as a kid, and as an adult, like three years ago, I decided, hey, I want to learn how to tap dance. So you should send me a recording of that because, like, that's a total tap dance song. Oh, right on. That'll be fun. So thank you so much for your time and. Uh, We'll get this put up soon. Well, absolutely. I hope you can make some sense of it. Thanks for including me. <laughs> hey, stay safe. Uh, stay, wash your hands. <laughs> and uh, tell your family we're thinking of you guys. Right on. You too. See ya. Bye, Seth. Okay. I mean, that deck is, like, really bad. <laughs> it's like...
90 degree angle almost. It's not a 90 degree <laughs> angle. What angle would you say? Mm, 45? No. Okay, so this isn't, I mean, okay, the radio. An L maybe. is 90. <laughs> so half of that would be 45. Do you really think it's slipping okay. that much? Maybe. So like 20 degrees? Okay, we need to get that checked out. We, what we need to do is... The whole house is going to fall down. That's fine. We should burn the house down and just start over. Now that you've said that, if the house burns down, we're going to be investigated for arson. Okay. Anyway, hobbies. So, first off, what did you think of Seth's ending definition? Okay, well, let me just say something first. It's like, I've never officially met Seth, so this is my first, like, meeting oh, of him. Yeah. But he's a, I would love to have him and his wife and kids over for dinner, because I think, I just, anyone who says that they start doing something to invest in their community, I think that's the kind of person, I, I just think that's a kind of a cool person who who has that view of wanting to, like, cultivate where they live. Yeah, Seth is very much about um, uh, ingratiating himself isn't the right word, but just integrating himself. That's it. Ingratiating? What, where did, what does that mean? Ingratiating like, means like pleasing, like making people pleased with you. Oh, okay, but integrate. Integrating themselves yeah. into their community and making it better and yeah. being a part of it. Yeah, so anyway, I, I think he's a cool guy. So also, that was fun to talk to him. we didn't even talk, I mentioned all these hobbies, we didn't talk about his love for music theater. Right. And how he does community theater right. and acts and all of that. And I admire somebody who's willing to to not take themselves so seriously that they're not willing to try new things. Yeah. Which I think is an admirable quality. So remind me what his, his last definition is. Well, I also want to say one other thing, yes. too. That pro the profoundness of self-awareness, when you, he said, um, you know, we were saying he's a curious person. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, I realize, like, I'm not... As curious when I'm stressed out. Yeah, I'm really stressed out if I'm not as curious as I usually am. I mean, that's really... Uh, that one hit me. So his definition... Well, actually, I think it was his wife's sort of thoughts on this. Was that a hobby is something that is challenging enough to keep you going, but not so challenging that you would want to give up. Yeah. Like this puzzle we're doing right now? So It's too challenging. No, I can't not. do it. Okay, so here's a question for you. In this time of COVID-19, yes. have you adopted any new hobbies? No, not really. Yes, puzzles, Emily. How many puzzles have you and Maya done since? We've just started our third one. And how many have you done in the last year? Probably three, actually. Within the last year, <laughs> you've done three. So I'm going puzzle maker, well, puzzle dealer. But I don't know that I love it. Like, it hurts my neck. Like, it's like a lot of sitting. So why are you doing it? To keep my mind occupied so that I don't eat. Oh, okay. <laughs> and my toe is bruised so I can't go for a walk. Yeah, it's rough. It is rough. So you haven't picked up any new hobbies? No, but I think maybe I'll pick up, like, engineering and see if there's a way we can prop that deck up. <laughs> so that I, I can tell you how to do it. No, I don't want to hear you tell me. That's fine. Have you picked up any new hobbies during the time of COVID? Uh, no. I'm reading more. Yes, but a new hobby that you've yeah. picked up over the past year is playing guitar. Yes, I, well, two years now. Yeah. So I think that's a nice hobby because it can be as challenging as you want it to be. Yes. Uh, same with tap dancing for me. But what I really like about tap dancing and other things, other hobbies that I have is that for me, it's really important not to feel like I have to excel at them. Um, it's just nice to have that release where you can just be okay at something. Yeah. The thing I like most about guitar is that as a creative person, 
it's something that is equally as creative as the other work that I do, but no one has any expectations of it. So I like, do. No, you don't. Yeah, I want you to be able to play Blackbird. Blackbird. Did it. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Expectations met. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I, so I think one of the things about a good hobby is that there are no expectations around it. Yeah. Sure. I think that's true. Or that other, I should even refine a little bit. Other people don't have expectations of how good or bad you would be at that hobby. Sure. Like, you're like, oh, yeah, it's a hobby. I tap dance. Like, no one's like, oh, well, they better be like. Like, she can do all her time steps. Right. They're not going to be like that. Chances are they don't even know what a time step is. Oh, everybody knows what a time step is. I have no idea what a time step is. Well, I'd show you one, but I don't really know how to do it, so. Isn't it that, is that where you go, like, time, 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 like, with the tapping your toes? Nope. Not even kind of. The only thing from tap that I know is shuffle off to buffalo. Perfect. That's all you need to know. I don't actually know what it is. I just know that it's a term used. <laughs> In love you. <laughs> You're amazing. I am amazing. You are. Are there any new hobbies that... Are there any hobbies that you have, in your pet life, taken up, put down, and come back to in your later years? My later... What the... What are you talking about? At your accelerated age. Oh, my gosh. Because uh, um, guess what's coming up? Stop. Your I, birthday's coming up. I don't feel like I'm old enough to, like have had a chance yet to come back to a hobby like because for the first part of our lives were so taken up with school and all the schooling mm -hmm. and then we had kids two kids very close together mm -hmm. and so it was impossible to do anything other than change diapers um and manage sleep schedules but i will say i i used to sew quite a lot and i haven't come back to it yet but i, I suspect i will at some point I think being here for COVID-19 has allowed me to come back to my hobby of cooking. I've been mm -hmm. able to cook a lot more. That's true. Yeah, I think I think a lot of things have changed because of COVID-19, but I also want to be very sensitive and point out that, like, this is not... We, we are not necessarily gifted with more time. We're not necessarily gifted with more uh, free time. Fuck no. In fact, I feel like I have a lot less time. Right. So, like, when we talk about, like, developing new hobbies during COVID, maybe, for me, it feels more like survival. Yeah. Things. Yeah, like Doing coping. things, just, yeah, coping. How are you coping? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, the thing is, like, I've come back to cooking because I'm home now to cook. Right. So. But, no, I am not. I don't have more free time. No. I don't. In fact, I have played guitar a lot less. Honestly, the only time that I feel has been freed up, like the only time that I've reclaimed because of the shelter at home, has been the time that I spend driving to mm -hmm. different things. But the things that actually take up that time are still being taken up. Like, I'm still working out. It's just in our garage. Maya still has dance class. It's just in our house. I'm still going to tap, but it's just in the house. Like, yeah. I'm still having my guitar lesson, but it's in my house. Right. The girls are still having piano lessons, like... I'm still training for an Ironman. Oh, second time. Yeah. Take another shot, people. <laughs> At Harvard. Oh. <laughs> um, okay, this is going on way too long. I think we should be done. Does that mean it's been an hour and 47 minutes? It does not. Oh. It means it's been 47 minutes. 40 people are, if you have made it this far, send us a message. Maybe listening to our podcast is somebody's new hobby. Oh, bless. All right. Do you want to know what next time's episode is? Oh, yeah. You already have one? Yeah. What is it? 
It's what makes a good bop. Okay. Cool. <laughs> well, I'm, we've got a special interview that we're going to want to do that. Who's it going to be? Is it a secret? I haven't asked anyone yet. Well, I've got someone <laughs> in mind. I know who we're going to ask. Give a hint. See if our people can guess. Um, he plays. Oh, it's a male. Okay. He plays bass with a very famous <gasps> singer. I know who it is. And songwriter. I know who it is. Yeah. I haven't talked to him yet, but I'm hoping he'll do it. Me too. So, all right. Okay. Have a good one. Stay safe. Wash your hands. Wash your hands.